It's had the shittest walk in the Lake District. Oh, this was the thing you didn't want to tell me. Right, okay, but, go, go, go. Well, it's not a big thing. But I thought, you know, I think it might having, be interesting. Being able to find a shit walk in the Lake District Holy is quite a skill. God, Jesus. Was it awful? <laughs> right. The be- I mean, it's so close to Windermere. It's called... Um, I can't remember the name of the thing. High Dam. High Dam. So it's a man-made tarn. It was just it, it was just walking around a bog for three hours. Right. Um, no views. <laughs> the weather was... Uh, it'd be nice if the weather was bad. Because mm. then it'd been like something was achieved. It's like, come on, Loki. We made it through a storm. That's a story. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't even... There's no light. Just walking around with my camera and my dog. And... There were sheep everywhere, which I know is normal in the Lake District. Mm. But what happened was, obviously, I've got a sh- I've got a, a sheep dog, um, kind of. Well, he's half sheep dog. <laughs> he's half dog, half sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's. <clears throat> it must be something innate in him. Oh, he's, he's chasing them. He sees a, sh- a sheep, and he no, he's, he stalks them. So you get. He, I've only ever seen him do it with sheep and big birds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the poodle. <laughs> um, but it gets down really low. Mm, and what's very, very slow. Sneaks through. Sneaks, and then without warning, it explodes. It's time to pounce and eat a sheep. That's not what sheepdogs are supposed to do. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... Recently I realised that although we do a British history podcast, where I take pride in trying to cover all eras of British history, we actually only cover a minuscule period of all time that has ever existed. So today, I wanted to address that a little bit. It's the history of Britain. It's the history of Britain. But don't worry, I'm not going to do something silly like starting 13.5 billion years ago with the Big Bang. Okay. No. This story actually starts around 3.8 billion years ago. Okay. Because that is the time when the first organisms are thought to have developed on planet Earth. How long have we got to record this, Joe? It's a good job you turned up early. Right. Let's put it that way. Through a process of evolution, organic life took on many strange and wonderful forms. Hmm. Yes, like the octopus. Paris Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) The majestic buffalo. We've got Neanderthals and stuff, haven't we? Mm. Is that where you're going? It might be. Mm. Mm. But, uh, uh, Neanderthals will make an appearance. Of course they will. Naturally. They're like the bad boys. The big heads. Yeah. Um, some types of organism thrived, while others didn't. And the never-ending competition for resources and deadly arms race of predator versus prey refined and developed such advantageous things as eyes, wings... The ability to regrow limbs, echolocation, and, for some more unfortunate creatures, the ability to vomit up your own stomach. Who's that? Sea cucumbers. For what And I believe starfish. Um, They vomit up their stomach onto the thing they want to eat and they digest it that way. And then they suck it back in. External. They, they, They put their stomach on the food rather than putting the food on the stomach. That's cool. Yeah. All very varied and exciting, yes, as I'm sure all of our listeners will agree. Yeah. And just a quick note from here on in. Much of what follows has been simplified to a ridiculous degree. For brevity, and also because I am not a scientist. So I couldn't I couldn't go into detail even if I wanted to. And amazingly, it's also very difficult to pinpoint the exact sequence of events from millions of years ago and even harder to recreate the lives of the animals that were alive at the time. So there will be a lot of, we think, or it is suspected that, or our best guess is from here on out. I can imagine. Mm. So, on one branch of the evolutionary tree were a group of mammals known collectively as the Great Apes. Mm. The Great Apes had split off from other primates approximately 80 million years ago which is where you'll find the last common ancestor of great apes and gibbons. The gibbons were subsequently bundled into the group known as lesser apes. 
That's mean, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good job they didn't understand the concept of an insult because that does seem to be quite an insulting thing to do to them. See, I wouldn't adopt a gibbon. Why not? I like the long hands and the way they run with them in the air. We'll adopt one then. No, I know. Uh, you know, it's the it's the anniversary of my adoption of Tim Tom, the orangutan. Really? Yeah, because I got it f- instead of doing Valentine's, which we, me and Kate don't do. You you adopted, adopted an orangutan. Orangutan called Tim Tom. How's he doing? All right. Well, the cuddly toy is in my car. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had any information about Tim Tom. I don't know if he's if she's still alive. Um. Maybe you should write to them. If she's doing well. And it's one of them things, it's like, well, it's nice because it's a present that just keeps on going forward. Mm. Every, every, you know, every every February 14th, it's like, still paying for Tim Tom. But you can't just cancel a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to throw the toy away. <laughs> I can't, I'm not feeding that. That, <laughs> that damn ape. That for... greater ape anymore. Well, it's funny you should mention that because around 12 million years ago, orangutans also branched off to do their own thing, which included the evolution of Gigantopithecus, mm. which was 12 foot tall and weighed well over half a ton. It was wow. one big, big ape. When did that die out? Uh, it was only about 3 million years ago. <sighs> just missed it. Yeah, you just missed him. But they were, if, if you imagine a, a silverback gorilla mm. and then double it. Yeah. Yeah. You're somewhere in that region. It was a huge thing. Four million years after the orangutans decided to step off, the gorillas followed suit. Yeah. They were unable to grow a giant version of themselves because they were already pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then, only a short six million years ago, the chimpanzee split off, leaving the ancestors of Australopithecus to fend for themselves on the family tree. Is this where we jump in? Well, not quite yet, because Australopithecus um, is considered to be the direct ancestor of the Homo genus. So you had these proto-Australopithecuses running around, and they had to deal with a changing climate, which had resulted in deforestation across their African home. As a result, they had to venture down from the trees and spend more time on the ground in order to successfully forage enough food to survive. So this was the point at which the successful tactic of we'll just stay away from all of that mess down there, all of those big things with teeth, it wasn't going to work anymore because the gaps between trees got so big that you couldn't just swing across. Right. The ground in Africa was awful at this point in history as it was full of supersized versions of predators you might recognise today, such as massive cats. Yeah. Gargantuan crocodiles, snakes that went on for days, and towering bears, which were all commonplace and ready to eat anything smaller than themselves. Okay. The apes that would develop into it. You think all their prey must have been supersized as well? Yeah, it's it's one of those things about that sort of arms races. You know, like when you see like the blue whale today, it's like one of its biggest defenses is. There are very few things that are big enough to even attempt. I think yeah, to take a chunk out of it. Yeah, I think there was like a couple of occasions where pods of orca have taken on a blue whale. Isn't it normally to get the young? Yeah, but generally speaking, they're just too big (laughs) a prey item. Yeah, but yeah, you get the thing where they go bigger, they go bigger, they go bigger, they go bigger. Self implode. Yeah, the whole thing collapses. Well, that's what happened to um, megalodon. Is it the big shark? That basically, they evolved and they got so big that there was nothing in the sea that could sustain a population of them. Right. So they died off. But they reckon that um, if you follow great white sharks, they are slowly growing bigger. So they're going that way. They're going that way again. Is that boom and bust? But it's over, you know, millions of years. So so you don't see the cycle. No. (laughs) Yeah. It's just everything is as it is now for us because we're just a blink of an eye. Anyway, the apes that would develop into the species called Australopithecus had to quickly learn a range of brand new skills in order to be able to adapt and survive in this new environment. They took to living in small family groups that would allow them to travel quickly in search of food, but also ensure that there was always someone looking out for predators. 
ready to alert everyone that it was time to scarper with a small range of simple vocalizations. Right. So we're we're sort of still at the level that you'd imagine from like chimpanzees at the moment, where there's a few different calls, and one means I found food, one means you know we've got um, someone we're going to have to fight for the food, and one means shit, big thing, yeah. run. That's just a scream, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> ah! yeah. What is it, mother? No one asked that ready? question. Yeah, that's it. You hear that and you just run. Hold on a second, Joe. So the, the cats have absolutely made to blow my nose. It's just really not. Talk about gibbons, right? <laughs> yeah. Back, Back to, to the, the gibbons. gibbons. <laughs> what were they doing at this point? How did they feel? <laughs> The gibbons, with their long arms, were still able to stay in the trees, and they were just looking down at Australopithecus like... Fuck that. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a bad choice. <laughs> we did well to split from those guys. They're idiots. And in a world of giants down on the floor, Australopithecus were relatively little guys, standing at less than four foot tall. But they made the most of what height they had by walking on two legs to maximise their field of vision. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, they still had opposable sort of um, digits on their feet at this point. But they quickly realised that if they tried to do the knuckle walk along the floor, they were like maybe two foot. They couldn't see over the grass. Yeah, yeah. And that's just not a good place to be when you've got loads of cats, big cats with sharp teeth oh, hiding in there. That. There's nothing that preys on us now. No. Well. They're the smallest things on earth to do now. <laughs> <clears throat> Non-living viruses kill us. Don't they live in a certain way? They reproduce. No, they're not alive at all. They're just it's just RNA mm. wrapped around protein or something. There's no living thing to it. They're very efficient, though. Yeah. Got to give them that. Australopithecus were thought to be mainly herbivores and may have been the first animal to ever use stone tools 3.4 million years ago. Because when you ain't the biggest or the strongest, you have to get inventive. Hmm. Australopithecus would do quite well roaming the plains of South Africa for around 3 million years before eventually going extinct though it could be argued that extinction was Australopithecus's own fault as it was falling victim to its own success because during its time on the plains one of the most important things that Australopithecus did was to constantly increase the size of its brain over the course of thousands and thousands of generations as any member of the group who was not smart enough would be picked off by one of the many, many predators. Oh, it's a stupid sword. death. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much, you know, it was a, a game of survivor at all times. You could never let your guard down. And any that weren't quick enough, weren't strong enough, weren't resourceful enough, they were lopped off quite quickly. So you were just left with this hardcore group. Canal. When did When did we become self-aware? We'll get to that. Oh, yeah. So it happened. They're not self-aware yet. Not, not, not in the same way we are. Right. I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure they would have recognised when one of their number went down, and they would have, you know, possibly changed tactics accordingly. But they're not worried about the haircuts. No. Right. I mean, they've they've still covered in hair on most of their bodies by this point. Right. An increased brain size required a number of other biological adaptations, including a shorter gestation period and a faster metabolic rate. They have tails. No. No. And no tails. And no tails. That's another thing. If you're on the floor, no tails. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you want those for? You're walking on two legs, no tails. It's dragging, isn't it? Yeah. It's just something for the cats to grab. Uh, yeah. Messy you think tail. you've got away, and they've got the tip of your tail. It's like, oh, <clears throat> shit. With muscle mass being sacrificed in order to keep all of that sweet increased intellect ticking over, because the brain is the most energy resource heavy part of your body by far. So whereas the gorilla had small brain, big muscle, Australopithecus and all of the animals that evolved from Australopithecus went down the route of, we're going to sacrifice some of that sheer strength, some of that muscle mass, so that we can outthink you. Right. That's our, we're putting all of our eggs in that basket, thank you very much, and we'll see how that, how that bears. Eventually, the sum of these changes in some groups of Australopithecus in East Africa meant that they couldn't really be described as Australopithecus anymore. In fact, they were a brand new genus, all of their very own. The homos. Yeah. 
were there. The first of these new animals appeared around two and a half million years ago and was called Homo habilis, which means... Habilis. Don't know. Habit? Handyman. Handyman? Yep. Why? It got the name as it was believed to be the first species of animal to purposefully make tools rather than just hoping they would come across a conveniently shaped rock. Right. So when you see the very, very first sort of, you know, the flints that have been napped, the very first animal to do that was Homo habilis, which meant that it had a wider range of tools. So it could do things like, it, you know, skinning and preparing meat. It'd have something to cut with, it'd have something to skim with. With a bigger brain to fuel, it is also thought that Homo habilis began increasing the meat content of its diet by scavenging from the kills of small predators. By working in groups of up to 70 individuals, Homo habilis could scare off animals like jackals by throwing sticks and stones at them. Okay. It's, it's not sophisticated at this point, yeah. but it's, they've, they've at least worked out it would be insanity for us to go off against a massive leopard or something. You know, we're but not going to... But they can coordinate in a yeah. way, yeah. But we can definitely, if we all get together, we can scare off a jackal or something smaller and we can eat you know, share out the food that we get from that. And it's easier to do that multiple times with animals that aren't going to harm you than to try and go for the big score once. Yeah. And that leopard is, it may leave the kill, but it's taking Greg as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a consolation prize. And you know, one of them was called Greg. Even back then, there's <laughs> yeah. always been a Greg. It's part of the group. He's just there. Yeah. Homo Greg. I've, I've totally lost where I was now thinking about Homo Greg. Uh, Yes, wasn't the most sophisticated strategies they were using, but these were strategies that worked. Until some groups had brains that were twice as large as their grandfather's, the Australopithecus. So being able to get a regular source of protein and all of that extra meat meant that they could increase their brain size even further. Right. So there's there's a limit to the size of brain you can have as a herbivore. These groups would eventually develop into a second brand new species of Homo, Homo erectus, which means... Standing. Yes, upright man. Yeah. Homo erectus used its larger brain to develop spears and complex hunting tactics to allow for the hunting of large game and to finally offer some resistance to the apex predators in Africa. So these were the guys who were first going after things like mammoth. And those really big, you know, yeah. and elephants and things like that. They were they were the guys who went, actually, we may not have big teeth, but we can make fake teeth and put them on sticks. And then we can all stab with the fake teeth on the sticks. Fucking hell. And eventually, dead. Yeah. Hooray. How long would you survive? Well. If I just dropped you somewhere now and you had to just like crack on with it. We're, I'm not dro- dropping you. Dropping you in the wilderness. How how long can the human body survive without food or water? I think that's the question. <laughs> Two days. Right there. There yeah. you go. It depends on. <laughs> it could be massively changed by whether I'd had enough water that day before you kidnapped yeah. me, or whether I was already a bit dehydrated. Yeah. <laughs> it's 24 hours in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, I'm not even going to bother standing up. <laughs> There's just no point. Not trusting the the, the stream. <laughs> I can't be sure. No, to be honest, this if, you, not drop, make me if you drop me in the middle of like the outback, I'd probably just give up and just dig my own grave. <laughs> like, I've got enough energy for this. There we go. <laughs> At least I can die with some dignity. They also, the Homo erectus, produced other more sophisticated tools, such as hand axes, to help in butchering the meat from the successful hunts. With multiple tasks needing to be completed within a group, the members divided the labour between themselves. Some would hunt, some would gather, some would produce new tools, and some would make clothing, as these were the less hairy. We're getting less hairy now. Yeah. Uh, And some would even start doing cooking, because it is believed that Homo erectus had also managed to figure out how to make and control fires around 800,000 years ago to use for cooking, and for clearing large areas of scrubland. Right. So they also recognised that, <clears throat> you know, it was in it was to their advantage now that they had these tactics, if they could see, 
if they had a long range of vision. So if they came across sort of like thick sort of woodland where predators might jump out, they just burn it to the ground. <laughs> Be yeah. like, right, now we can see. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. As they travelled around, because they were still nomadic at this time. So it was basically just, well, that's going to be an inconvenience for three days. <laughs> they'll have a dance and party. Yeah, and then they, they go through and apparently they pull out all the tubers and things that they accidentally cooked. And they'd be able to eat all of that. It was also obviously quite a good heat source and defence against predators. Because all the big predators had learned, you know, you stay away from fire. It's an unpredictable thing that can only really hurt you. Yeah. With all of these skills to call on, it was Homo erectus that was the first species to be able to travel beyond Africa and into Europe and Asia in search of new territory, inexorably spreading the Homo genus across the globe. So they just walked. Mm. We're not talking boats and stuff at this point. Uh, Not not at this point. But, you know, at this point you could walk uh, all the way, pretty much. There were land bridges to pretty much everywhere. There were very few true islands oh right was this before like Pangaea oh, we're, we're well beyond Pangaea but a lot of the the things like take for example the channel didn't exist at this point as in the the water level was so low that yeah yeah you could just walk across it was a land bridge right because I know there's a land bridge between Alaska and Russia yeah yeah, and no. they use that as well but that's, that's how they got a frozen into... land bridge wasn't it that was just it's how they got to North America right. yeah um, the very first time as they spread out across Russia. How did they get to Australia? We'll get to it. Don't you worry. All right. We will cover that. Because you're right, that, that is a bit of a head scratcher. As Homo erectus encountered different environments, the species began to adapt to the conditions. This resulted in the development of multiple Homo subspecies, from the smaller, more dexterous Homo salensis of Indonesia to the large and durable Homo denisova of Siberia. Right. They're just thick bear people. Yeah. The the guys who it's like we've got a lot of fat stores, we're able to process fat better, we're hale and hearty and we're able to hold our body heat better, whereas the people in, you know, somewhere as hot and humid as Indonesia were like, Yeah, we're small, we have practically no muscles, but we're really good with our hands. Yeah. We catch fish. Yeah. Yeah. One of these subspecies, known as Homo antecessor, which means Pioneer man. Oh, I never would have got Woo-hoo. that. Yeah, he made his way across to Western Europe approximately a million years ago. This unfortunately meant that he had missed the technological breakthrough of harnessing fire. In Southern Europe, this didn't prove to be too much of a problem, as it was relatively warm and toasty anyway. Yeah. You know, Greece, lovely. It's where you go for your holidays. However, when they started heading further north, they began to encounter issues. Snow, ice, dark days in winter. Howling wind. Yeah. Never-ending howling wind. God, water. At at this time in prehistory, Britain was not an island. It would actually be better described as a peninsula, being connected to mainland Europe via a wide land bridge. And at some point around 800,000 years ago, a group of homo antecessors decided to try their luck on the other side of this land bridge earning the honour of becoming the first human inhabitants of Britain. You know, we're there. Fun side note, there is plentiful evidence to suggest that homo antecessors regularly practice cannibalism. Yeah. Yay! What of other homo species of themselves? Of themselves. Right. But part of it was, these are bodies. You know, if if Greg has been killed during a hunting trip well I suppose a lot of you animals have Greg eat their meat. Own, don't they yeah you have Greg meat you'd be stupid to waste Greg meat yeah it's so tasty and this is before the idea of ritual burials and things like that it's just okay Greg's gone but where Greg once was there is now a pile of meat yeah let's let's you know life's given us lemons and you know it's organic oh yeah you know exactly <laughs> what's gone into that yeah We only found out that the first British people probably enjoyed eating each other in 2001 when a collection of 78 stone tools were found in the ground near Happisburg in Norfolk. The tools were in a layer of sediment that was laid down during a period when the polarity of the earth was reversed, meaning that compass needles at the time would have faced south rather than north. The poles last reversed around 780,000 years ago 
hence the ability to date the tools with relatively high degree of accuracy. How how can you tell that from the tools that they were before the polarity shifted? It was it was the sediment that they were in. Right. They, something about the layer would tell them that their polarity was reversed and they just went, well, that last happened this much, so they must be necessarily during this, that period, right. yeah. And they also know when antecessors started in the rest of Europe. So like we've got from when they got to Southern Europe to when the poles changed to the way they are now and that little window of about, what, 40,000 years. Like, so somewhere in there, right. they had a holiday in Norfolk. Unfortunately for the few thousand brave homo antecessors, they had arrived at a very inopportune time, as Britain was already beginning to Wait steadily call towards a particularly chilly ice age. Wait a minute. Mm? You said that you didn't tell us mm. why finding these tools meant they were cannibals. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, so you said scientists found this out in 2000, only recently it's 2001. No, they, f- they found the tools in 2001, but... Meaning... In more established places where homo ancestors lived. Yeah. Um, they found the bones of some of the homo ancestors that clearly had cut marks on them that right. suggested butchery. So that's how they got homo ancestors of cannibals. Not that they found cannibalised sort of bones in Britain. Right, so what was the... It was that just to get the, the pole shifting fact in? No, I just like the fact that they were cannibals. Yeah, right. So what's the pole shifting thing about? That was how they dated the tools. And they were the tools? That were made by homo antecessors. Right. But they weren't, they didn't find any bones. Right, so they weren't, yeah, didn't have... um... No, the cut marks. I think it was in Spain somewhere that they found a group of them with cut marks, so they just assumed butchery. Yeah. have been performed yeah sorry to question you on that no no it's good yeah. we need we need to be clear i'll put that in the notes as clear as we can be do better yeah so unfortunately for the few thousand brave homo antecessors they had arrived at the start of a bleeding ice age and as the weather began to steadily cool and without the ability to utilize fire the antecessors were forced to retreat in a southerly direction back to mainland europe where it stayed relatively warm and nice. They were quickly replaced in Britain by Homo Homo Heidelbergensis Genesis Genesis Heidelbergensis Habadisentionist Habarentionist Habadisentionist Habnario Ready <laughs> They were quickly replaced in Britain by Homo Heidelbergensis. This group had stuck around in Africa long enough to learn about fire which was a definite benefit. But they were also credited with being able to build shelters to protect themselves against the elements. Also, instead of cannibalism, they were creating the very first examples of primitive art, which is nice. It's amazing. Mm. So is that, is, that, is that becoming self-conscious? These are, this is the first knockings. It's not true sort of self-awareness, but there was definite attempts to um, leave marks, essentially. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of leaving something that someone else, another member of the group could come and look at yeah. and would understand. The best preserved evidence of Heidelbergensis occupation was found in the 1990s at Boxgrove in Sussex and is dated to around 500,000 years ago. But even fire and shelter was no match for a 50,000 year ice age known as the Anglian. That's the name of the ice age? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Oh. It's just called the Anglian. You know, in the same way that we're naming storms now. Yeah. yeah. What's the one coming tomorrow? Dudley. Dudley. Storm Dudley. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh, God. Well, this was Ice Age Anglian. Yeah. No humans of any species would set foot on Britain again until 400,000 years ago. So it was 100 years, 100,000 years when no one was No there. one at all. They no evidence. Died. Was there think... nothing living on it? Was it just a permafrost? No, no, no. There were things living. But, not but just not humans. We weren't we weren't adapted enough to be able to survive that. No hairy level. humans, just no. It's shivery humans, right. cold, cold, wet, and sad humans. But how quickly does an ice age come on? You know, from where it's temperate and everyone's able to live to so cold that I, I'm guessing. And you're talking thousands of years for it to proper bite because it'll be like you know as we're seeing the, the Earth warm up at the moment. Yeah, we're talking about one degree over, you know. 
So you're saying that's just a natural process and we all need to stop? No, I'm saying that it's <laughs> it's a slow process, regardless of whether it's natural or unnatural. <laughs> you're not going to quick, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it makes it more difficult, doesn't it, to, to tease it out, which is where all the misinformations come from. I am not a climate change denier. Publicly. <laughs> <laughs> So they're going to think now. I just wait. I need to go out in my back and burn in my back garden and burn petrochemicals. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a generator on. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> just in case I need extra electricity yeah. at any any moment. Yeah. I'm surprised you're not picking up on the uh, the sound of it. Is that that hum? Yeah, that low hum is just my my generator. Uh, yes, no humans of any species for a thousand a hundred thousand years. The glaciers caused by this ice age had by this point formed the English Channel meaning that Britain could only be accessed intermittently when sea levels were low via a patch of land connecting East Anglia to Holland that was known as Doggerland, which you have probably heard on the shipping forecast when you were either going to bed too late or getting up too early. Yeah, that's me. Doggerland, westerly, three to three and a half. So is it a very shallow point in the channel, that? Uh, Well, it's not in the channel. It's uh, slightly north of the channel because it's connecting East Anglia to... To Holland, right. but yeah, it, it was it was a bit like the Low Countries. It was just an extension of the Low Countries, you know. At, at one time, I don't know what the Low Countries are. Like Holland, Belgium, you know, all the places that are at or just below sea level. Right. Yeah. It was just another bit of that. Well, they're under sea level, aren't they? Mm. Isn't that the point? Yeah, but so places in Holland are below sea level. So you're saying if we dammed enough, we could get Doggerland back? Let's try. Wouldn't that be great to get a new country? <laughs> just by building loads of dams. It would it would be completely surrounded by dams, though. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a tenuous... Would you want to live somewhere where it's just... If any point of this ring of protection fails, that's you. Everything you've built. I mean, you're just in the same position as the Maldives. <laughs> Except it's not as nice. Mm. It's probably a lot of sediment. I... I mm. <laughs> I bet it's. I bet it'd be very good. Fertile land. Yeah, if you could oh get to God. the soil, I bet it'd be really, really yeah. good. A bit salty, but yeah, how big them sweet potatoes going to grow. <laughs> That's it. You could be the yam king yeah. of Doggerland. <laughs> this is a plan. That's 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 a good title for a, for a book. What the yam king the of Doggerland? Doggerland. <laughs> yeah. Heathcote yams. Get them while we can still <laughs> access them. Yeah. A bit wet. <laughs> Heathcote, ah. Heathcote, salty, <laughs> salty yams. You get a, you get a pint of water with every order. <laughs> Trust us, you'll need it. You won't survive. Mm. The okay. taste. <laughs> and when humans did start returning via Doggerland, it was not the antecessor or the Heidelbergensis, but the closest relatives of the Homo sapien, the Neanderthals. Hey. Bum, 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 bum. Isn't it? Um, some of us, you know, when the people are doing ancestry. dot com. No, that's the wrong one. No, uh, you're thinking you're of uh, twenty three and me. That's the one. It, it's um, they test for that as well, don't they? Oh, they, yeah, they so test for the One or two percent Neanderthal. Mm, up to four. Is it? Yeah. Amazing. This is not an advert for twenty three and me. Although it wouldn't it be cool to find out that you had genes from a different animal. I know, meaning that the interbred, to some degree. And that we're able to produce... It wasn't like some sterile liger. Well, no, it's it's a bit like how... Um, oh, they've got mules. You know, mules are generally... But they're not... They're not sterile. Yeah. But you will get examples of mules that aren't sterile and are able to breed. Which virile. Yeah. They're, they're Lotharios yeah. going around sexing everything that moves. They're swinging. So you would have got some Neanderthal sort of Homo sapien hybrids who were able to continue reproducing. Not all of them. And imagine that. In this day and age, if if you said, you know, I I produce children with a different species. Yeah. Uh, you'd probably be on a list somewhere. But it was so close. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, I'm, you know, having a kid with a chimp. Mm. That's a bit far. Well, yeah, it wouldn't happen. A bit far removed mm. down the um, down the line. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like... Nothing's, nothing's going to come of that union, mm. except probably massive scratches <laughs> you'll be lucky if you don't get your head caved in yeah. it's a brave man who decides he's gonna <laughs> go out into the wild and try and find a chimp wife yeah but you know there's one person who's done it oh probably yeah and this is that story 
<laughs> Nigel De Winter was born in eighteen. 18- it was into interbred into being. Yeah, by some <laughs> by his father cousin, <laughs> <laughs> and was crazy enough to think. The only way to inject new blood into the family line was to find and fornicate with a chimp. Yeah. Go on, producing man. his daughter, Harry Susan. Uh, so, where are we? Uh, yes. So, Neanderthals. Neanderthals had adaptations to allow them to survive better in cold climates. They stored more fat and stood at a stocky five foot four, which I maintain is still a perfect height for a British person Stop going to this on about day. It, Joe. It's fine. The Neanderthals got the height thing right, is all I'm saying. It's Anything more is a waste, because you have to use more energy to keep a, a larger body going. I didn't know you you were self-conscious about your height. I'm not. I'm just you, pointing you out that Neanderthals... Every five it's fine. You're doing well. Neanderthals were right. You've got a family. I do. You've got a good job. Who are job. also your house is appropriately lovely. sized. Exactly. Yeah. So just forget about it. You're doing all right. Neanderthals will come and go from Britain semi-regularly. Aside from a period between 160,000 and 80,000 years ago, when Britain was overrun by massive bears, and it seems the Neanderthals wisely waited until they were done existing before going back. Why do bears always come back? I'm sure you just write bears into podcasts because <laughs> you know how much I love them. <laughs> well, yeah, there was just a period of time where, for some reason... A mob of bears. <laughs> a, massive, a group of massive bears went, this is the place, and the Neanderthals just went, okay, um, just... That's fine. Here are the keys. Just let us know when you're done. Yeah. If you d- don't worry about tidying up, it's fine. We'll we'll get to it when we get back. You just enjoy your holiday. So, so it was what seventy thousand years. Uh, eighty thousand. Eighty thousand years ago, it was bear land. Yeah. <laughs> just like, and over there, bears. <laughs> <laughs> We're sort of wet, waving with the big fucking paws. <laughs> <laughs> The same from Doggerland. Yeah. Well, that's it. It'll be a slight slope to get to Britain proper. And there's like all the Neanderthals walking up to the side of the slope and they look up and there's just a line of bears shaking their heads like, no. You don't want to come over here. We will welcome you. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're just going, hi. Oh, shit. Hello. Maybe they could have been really friendly bears and they're just like, why don't they want to come? (laughs) Who wants to come to Bearerland? This is speciesism. That's what it yeah. is. They'll go everywhere else. <laughs> Just avoiding us. Yeah. Feels like a bear ghetto. <laughs> so then the bears all died out. Uh, yeah. Right. And by 80,000 years ago, though... Loneliness. Homo sapiens had finally evolved in Africa and, having spent a couple of hundred thousand years getting their bearings, were beginning their rapid migration across the globe. Homo sapiens had the largest brains of any humans and were able to use this brain to do something that remains unique to this animal on planet Earth. They were able to begin inventing fiction and telling stories. (laughs) The development of imagination is now known as the cognitive revolution and it was a game changer as it allowed Homo sapiens to work towards common goals in groupings far larger than any other humans or apes. So prior to this, it was being able to work with your tribe yeah was based on personal connections so you had to personally know every other individual in your tribe or in your you know gang whatever it was because that's how you knew which is why you know your chimpanzees your gorillas all of the other great apes spend so much time grooming each other and doing all the socializing stuff because literally these are these are the only people people that you have an intimate relationship are the only ones you can trust what humans were able to do, sorry, humans, homo sapiens were able to do, was they were able to develop shared ideas and mythologies. So they weren't necessarily having to know each other beforehand. They just need to... Check that they have the same sort of religious beliefs. Right. It's, like, you're, it's the equivalent of, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Hooray, we can work together. Yeah. You know, just by knowing that they share certain stories... There's the idea of all right, well, we can work. T- we can work together because we believe the same things. That's great. And then you're able to work in much bigger groups because it isn't now necessary for everyone to know everyone else. You just need to know that they're part of the group. Yeah. Are we? Are we not going to? Is that the end of our evolution? We're not going to diverge again, are we? Are we sort of put a stop on that. What well, the diverging? Possibly not, but we will continue to evolve. But aren't we sort of evolving externally now? 
But there's an argument for that, yeah. It's not like a biological evolution. Well, there will anymore. be biological evolution because as we change... Yeah, but it'd be the loss of things. It won't be the gain of... Well, it'll be adaptations based on the environment. You you might see it as a loss, but it, is it a loss? I mean, we'll, be a, we'll slowly learn to develop um, the ability to cope with this high-fat, high-sugar diet over time. You know, because individuals who are able to eat high-fat, high-sugar diets and not develop diabetes are then going to be more likely to reproduce. So, you know, you will end up adapting to this it, this sort of diet that we eat now. But the offset of that is, if it ever stops being available, mm-hmm. we'll be much less able to deal with, you know, a, a worse diet or a less fat-rich diet. Isn't that depressing to think that we'll evolve to be able to eat rustlers all day yeah well it's it's just it's how evolution's always worked it's you, and, you then, respond to the environment that you're in and the competition that you face we but face then some no chicken and vegetables will be too rich <laughs> yeah possibly yeah. Oh, no. stomach it no can't, just can't do it we've got no teeth and just a wider tongue for dabbing <laughs> it, it syrup you just get like big sheets the plastic that you dab sticky liquids off well, this is just... That's all they need. You know, this is just me, you know, assuming things. I mean, it may be that there are some developments that are really, really beneficial and Homo Superior comes into being. You just have a, it's a small hole where you put uh, vitamin capsules. Oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't uh, tell you. Homo Sapien hmm. means... Brain. Wise man. Wise man. Wise man. Sapien's wise. Is it all Latin? Yeah, I assume so. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. It, yeah. <laughs> silly fucking question. It's a good question. No, it's not. Why is it all Latin? It's yeah. a dead language. Um. So yeah, it allowed them to work in massive groups. The easiest way to think of it is the way crowds of supporters behave at local football matches, or the massive congregations outside the Vatican. Mm. You know, these are people who some of the people in those groupings will never meet, yet they have managed to work together towards a common goal, and achieve that goal. Because they all believe that the football team are the best football team in the world, or they all believe in God. Yeah. Yeah. The ability to tell stories allowed Homo sapiens to practice delayed gratification on a large scale in order to achieve longer-term goals. And the ability to apply reason and imagination to problems allowed for the development of tools to progress at a rapid rate, having stalled at the point of crude stone for over two million years. So we got that, oh, we can chip bits off these stones and we can make sharp things. And that did us for two million years. Yeah. So like, oh, why would you need anything else? I have my sharp stick, uh, my sharp stone on a stick. Do we need anything else? If we want to make a podcast, we do. Well, I suppose we live long. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is what's the, the benefit to for our progression to metal and then to, you know, met, metal tools and then to... Um, steam power and well then it was about territory wasn't it so it was about your group being able to outcompete other human other homo sapiens and at that point like you say you know evolution wasn't keeping up with the pace of invention so it went from being an evolutionary arms race as it's always been between predators to external we we have better ways of killing you therefore we can subjugate you so it's just war yeah yeah that's that's why we've got yeah, yeah. Game Boy Main, Colors. Mainly, yeah. Most most things, the, the technology for it would have been started. Can we use this to kill other people? Mm. And then it'll be, oh, and we can also use it to, you know, make Pokemon. Yeah. That's cool. Nice side, cool. side yeah. effect. By 45,000 years ago, this development had allowed Homo sapiens to cross a literal ocean in order to populate Australia, covering hundreds of kilometres in boats in a migration that is arguably more impressive than the moon landing. So, you know, you're looking at a group of people <laughs> who have no idea that there's anything even there, just heading off in a boat to see what's going to happen. And that that's where imagination really... Because why would you do it unless you could imagine there being something there? Okay. You know, what it makes what... no sense on any level in a, as a survival tactic. Well, there's no benefit to it. Yeah, at all. So what were they fleeing? Well, we don't know, do we? There must have been something. It may have been that they were fleeing. It may have just been they were curious. 
No, we, one's, no one's looking going across the sea because they're curious. Well, these guys might have done. When humans completed this amazing feat, though, whether they were running from something or to something, because we don't know. No, we, we never will. We can't know. It's one of those unanswerable questions. Mm. Don't write in with an answer you don't know. We don't have an address. Yeah. If you can write to us, even if you manage to figure out how to write to us, we still don't want your input on this question because it's it's just going to be speculation. If you manage to write to us, we'll send you money. I'll send you £10. Fair enough. It'd be amazing to see. But when humans completed this feat, they've reached Australia and found a continent of giants. A two-metre-tall kangaroo, a giant marsupial version of a tiger... Flightless birds twice the size of the modern-day ostrich. A marsupial version of a tiger. So a tiger with a pouch. A tiger with a pocket, yep. Pocket tiger. Fucking hell. Flightless birds twice the size of ostriches, five-metre-long snakes, and a wombat that weighed two and a half tonnes and was known as Deprotodon. And you're looking at Greg and you're like, I didn't imagine this, mate. Yeah, we've we've developed the capacity for imagination, but even now... I think we've gone insane. Yeah, mind has blown a gasket here well especially they probably didn't have a lot of fresh water they were probably landing dehydrated severely malnourished and then they're looking up and it's like oh my it's got a pocket everything's got pockets what is this place amazing which is how he got his first name pocket land you're joking of course i am All in all, there were 24 species of animal in Australia that weighed more than 50 kilograms when humans arrived. Within a few thousand years, the They're only one gone. left was the red kangaroo. The Homo sapiens settlers would fill the void of these lost marsupials. They, they ate them all, is that the point? They, yeah, they killed them. Right. <laughs> Basically, what normally happens is, when a new threat emerges, animals have time to adapt over generations to learn, this thing's dangerous, you should avoid it. But the humans turned up. They were small. They were in a land of giants and they were tiny. So all of these massive creatures sort of took one look at them and went, hmm. Yeah. Don't rate your chances, mate. Turned around, got back to whatever business they were doing and then was being stabbed <laughs> by spears and hunted by these animals that could, you know, use tactics to just absolutely wreck their shit. And none of them had enough time to evolve to even realise that it was an issue. You know, because... Yeah. You know, they weren't leaving survivors from the groups that they found that would go on and breed and would sort of pass on knowledge of, oh, you avoid those to their children. That just wasn't happening. Yeah, they're all gone. Yeah. Oh, my God. It would be the equivalent today of sort of walking up to a Labrador and then brutally stabbing it. It wasn't expecting that. No. It's no fault on the Labrador saying, oh, you were overpowered. It's just, it's totally outside of your range of experience. And they don't have the imagination to go, I wonder if those things could be a threat. It was just, I'm bigger, I'm stronger. They're tiny, I could step on them. Mm. So yeah, they just killed Those everything. are the rules we've all been playing with. After they killed all of these giant marsupials, Homo sapiens filled the void, diversifying into over 500 tribes, each with a distinct language and culture, who would remain cut off from the rest of their fellow humans for the next 44,500 years, give or take. However... It's not that the first settlers in Australia were particularly bloodthirsty examples of Homo sapiens. Did they go on to New Zealand as well? Uh, New Zealand was only first settler. It's something ridiculous, like less than a thousand years ago. Oh. Yeah. The first Maori got to New Zealand, it's like less than a thousand years ago. How's that possible? Because it was very difficult to get to. No one is that... Well, no, but how did no Westerners get there first? We the ships start- and stuff? We we only started searching the southern continent relatively recently. Right. When was Cook? What, sailing around the world? Yeah. That was less than a... We found New Zealand, didn't he? Yeah, but it's less than a thousand years ago. I don't know. You're yeah. the history guy. Yeah, way less than a thousand years ago. I, I I did a double take when I looked at when New Zealand was first settled. I was like, no, that can't be right. You must mean 8,000 years. It's like, no, 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 800. Oh, okay. It doesn't feel like it should be right. No, it's not at all. No. Yeah, but it's not that the Australians were particularly were particularly bloodthirsty. This kind of mass extinction and subsequent replacement occurred everywhere that Homo sapiens went. When they first arrived in the Americas in around 14,000 before Common Era, 
it only took them 2,000 years to kill off 34 of the 47 large mammal species in North America, along with countless other species of bird, reptile and smaller mammals. As they continued their march through the continent, South America fared no better, losing 50 out of its 60 big cat species in a matter of centuries. Essentially, Homo sapiens were, to the large mammals, what a meteor was to the dinosaurs. A mass extinction event, albeit one with a face. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's quite sad, doesn't mm. it? We'd, basically, we'd, We're still doing it. We'd hit the, the evolutionary lottery. We put all of our chips into big brain. And for millions of years, we were just scraping our way by. You know, it wasn't a good idea. It didn't seem like it was going to help. And then we hit that threshold and we suddenly became an unstoppable force. Mm. And at this point, saw no reason to even consider what, what that was doing in terms of the ecosystem, because why would you? No animal has ever been this successful. So you've got no precedent to say, well, what what happens if, you know, you are able to just outcompete everything in every niche, regardless of how long they've been evolving to be specialists in that area. Okay. Even the other members of the Homo genus were not safe. And although there is evidence, as you've said, of some inbreeding, with between 1-4% to of European DNA thought to be Neanderthal in origin, it was clear that no other Homo could compete with the Sapiens to defend territory. Our closest relatives, the Neanderthals, had finally succumbed to extinction around 30,000 years ago. And the very last Homo genus, aside from Sapiens on the planet, Homo floresiensis, were finally wiped out only around 13,000 years ago. They were not quite four foot tall, and they lived on the island of Flores in Indonesia, and were nicknamed Hobbits. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know the pygmy? Yes, yes. Um... Yeah, do you know anything about them? As far as I'm aware, pygmies are still Homo sapiens. They've just specialised. Right. They've not. They've not because spe- they've been cut off for so long. Yeah, they've not specialised to the point where they are now their own species, but they are highly specialised versions of Homo sapien. Right. Because Homo sapiens, thirteen thousand years ago, were the last human standing, which is why now when we say human and Homo sapien, the terms are interchangeable. But while all Homo sapiens are humans, not all humans that have ever existed were Homo sapiens. Right. And Homo sapiens had already visited Britain as early as 40,000 years ago. However, much like the Neanderthals, they were only occasional residents, often having to retreat due to the harsh climate and the continued stub- stubbornness of the bear population, who, bears. who didn't feel like giving up their position as apex predators just yet. Yeah, couldn't get rid of the bears quick. No, and I'm wondering if, because the bears had had intermittent contact with humans over, you know, the preceding hundreds of thousands of years, if they were a bit more canny yeah. and wise than... Because it wasn't, it wasn't like the same sort of human blitzkrieg that went through North America and to Australia. You know, they'd seen, all the way from Homo, um, Homo antecessor, they'd seen different examples, they'd seen them sort of um, evolving, and they'd probably learnt to be a bit wary of these smaller hairless bears that would sometimes come over yeah as um would it be right to say that it's you know all these they go to these places and nearly all the mammals die yeah when they get there it are the the only predators left surviving the absolute apex of you know so that you were saying like 60 oh yeah, yeah 60 cat species and 57 of them went extinct does that mean that the three remaining were so vicious and big and terrifying? I don't know, because a lot of the bigger predators were the ones that were killed. It seemed like you just had to be in that sweet spot where you either lived somewhere where the humans didn't want to get there. Because I think the reason the hippo survived is because nobody wants to go in a bog covered in shit. Right. It's just not worth it. And hippos are hyper-violent anyway. You know, so it, it, I think it was that mixture. Of... Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, is a hippo so aggressive... I wonder if it is just a mix of... And that's why they survived. Yeah, just natural aggression and being in places humans didn't want to be. Because a lot of the big cats that exist outside of, you know, like the lions who work as a team, so are probably harder to take down. You know, wolves and lions, those those sort of mammals that hunted in packs would have been harder for a group of humans to take down anyway. But, you know, like you get all the big cats that live in the jungle and all of these places where it's not really feasible at this yeah, time to have to this, yeah that that may have been what saved them. 
But mm. I don't know. I don't know what made it. I mean, the only thing I know for sure is the reason the cheetahs were all right is because any time they saw a human, they were able to... Just run. Yeah, the first time <laughs> that spear was thrown, they were already a couple of kilometres away. It's like, yeah. shit, these lightning cats, we'll never get them. He knows our game now. <laughs> <laughs> no. It makes me a bit sad. Why? I don't know. It, well, I'm a sad. It, the, it's a, it's kind of a. I wish I could see a world before the impact of humans. Yeah, but the ability to formulate that idea required there to have been humans that you know evolved in the way they did. Yeah, and these guys didn't know that they no, were decimating yeah, it. I understand that. We yeah. now have the knowledge. So when when Homo sapiens in this time period caused an extinction of an animal we are far more culpable because we we all understand to some degree that our actions as a species have these massive ramifications and we all sort of can make choices to not engage in that process for whatever way you know like the whole palm oil thing and orangutans going back to your friend yeah timmy tom yeah but back then this had never happened before no one had ever had this advantage they're just sort of seeing how far they can go bless them they didn't realize that yeah. how far they could go it's was finite yeah that's it it's just like yeah they didn't even know that the world was a finite area it was just like we'll, we'll keep going forever I imagine you'll get to the point where we we start cutting all the trees down you know because it's changing the landscape of removing all the animals that lived there originally but then you, you completely change hmm. not just the mammals and the, the predators and the, the herbivores but you've you're changing water courses and mining the rock. And yeah, we're, we're like, getting closer to those times. Good. Yeah. In fact, humans only managed to gain a permanent foothold on British shores between 10,000 and 9,000 years ago. Though to be fair, this is the period when 99% of all human progress has taken place, so it isn't like Britain missed out on too much. However, to put that date for the first ongoing occupation in perspective... Around the same time, humans in Iraq were already brewing beer. A bit further eastwards, people in Asia were busy domesticating the cat. And a fun group of people in Sweden were experimenting with fermenting fish. Because of course they were. Yeah. That's how old that is, that um, that putrid... (laughs) The first fermentation of fish was about 9,000 years ago, yeah. Wow. So we're only just getting people able to just eke out an existence and they're busy, yeah trying different techniques of storing food. The most famous of these early British residents is arguably Cheddar Man, who was found in Cheddar Gorge in Somerset in 1903. He was in his 20s when he died, violently, and DNA testing suggests he had both dark skin and blue eyes. I saw this. Did you watch it the other night? Was it on the other night? Yeah. No. Have you seen seen the the programme? You must have seen the programme where they show this. No, I've seen the I've seen the uh, artist's impression of what he would have looked like. Yeah, yeah, mm. amazing. Those piercing blue eyes. He'd have been a Hollywood in a different world. He'd have been a Hollywood it's actor. A strange look to see it because it's you know, no one, nobody looks like that. Cut off from the rest of the continent, it is fair to say that early British humans were a little bit backward on the technology front. They were reliant on the ongoing steady drip of immigration from Europe for the introduction of farming techniques and the introduction of domesticated animals, such as pigs, sheep, and cows. So this is what you're talking about. This period, the agricultural period, is when we started terraforming, essentially. This is when we started chopping down diverse sort of landscapes and going, no, you will now be corn. Mm. We're going to do a monoculture, and it's going to be corn, and we're just going to plant that. And they reckon that during this time, the average sort of um, life expectancy for just a guy working um, and the average sort of enjoyment of life for a guy working reduced dramatically because when you were a hunter-gatherer you were constantly moving you were constantly doing different things everybody as part of the group would have to have all of the skills and be able to do everything so you had a massive breadth of knowledge about so many different things and then you go to the agricultural thing where it's right all you need to know is corn yeah your job is corn and it's at this point that you started getting the building of kingdoms so you start to get the idea of you have to do the corn and then you have to give me some of the corn but in return i'm going to make sure to protect you and your cornfields so if you pay me in corn i will protect you yeah but i won't have to work 
aside from protecting you, which won't happen that often. So I'll have lots of time for leisure um, and to develop art and to do fun things. But you, you've got the corn thing, okay? You're corn guy. You're my corn guy. I don't like corn. Well, you're going to have to learn to love corn or at least tolerate corn because you're my corn guy. (laughs) Can I eat anything but corn? Once a year, I may give you a fish. That's because I love Can you. I specify the fish. It'll be hake. <laughs> Will it? Yeah. It's always hake. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what you're going to have that with? Cornbread. Cornbread. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hake and cornbread. You'll love that. Sounds pretty nice, isn't it? <laughs> um, that could be another title for a book. Hake and cornbread. cornbread. What was the original? What was the other oh, one? Do you remember it? Yams from Doggerland. <laughs> yeah. This reliance on haphazard development... Salty yams from Doggerland. Salty yams from Doggerland. (laughs) This reliance on haphazard developments via immigration, though, meant that the Stone Age in Britain ended a full 1,500 years after it had in Southern Europe, Asia and North Africa. Meaning that while the Egyptians were developing hieroglyphics and the Sumatrans were building the world's first cities, the Brits were still using stone tools and basic farming techniques. Well, it's not going to remain like that, Joe. Is it not? No, we're gonna we're gonna be the the ruling force in a matter of. No, if you want to see what a Neolithic settlement of the time looked like, amazingly, you can in the flesh. You only need to travel to Scarabree, a site with eight preserved Neolithic houses, which sits on the west coast of the largest of the Orkney Isles. For our American listeners, this is a mere seven hundred and fourteen miles, or fourteen hours and forty minutes, including two ferries away from the centre of London. Mm. Mm. It's about as far away from London as you can get and still claim to be in the British Isles. It's Jersey. No, we're up in the Orkneys. No, no, I'm saying it's Jersey further than that. Oh, possibly, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. It's the furthest away you can get and still be in the British Isles, except for Jersey. And parts of the... Shut up. (laughs) Anguilla? (laughs) This is not a geography podcast, okay? (laughs) At the end of the Neolithic period, the population of the entire British Isles was estimated to be only 250,000 people. I should say 250,000 miserable, weather-beaten. Yeah. Just good lads. Yeah. (laughs) They pretend they're happy, but they're crying on the inside people. And even at the end of the Bronze Age, in around 800 BCE, this had only doubled to half a million. However, this half a million original British Homo sapien inhabitants could only enjoy their new Iron Age comforts for a brief period of around 150 years before a group of tribes from Central Europe called the Celts decided to come over and take their jobs and livelihoods and not pay tax. Were they from Central Europe? Yeah, I didn't know the that. The Celts were immigrants. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were every part of his immigrants, aren't they? But... Yeah, but the, you, could, you could make the claim that the Celts were the first immigrants because... The original Homo sapiens who finally settled had settled around nine thousand years, you know, ago, and then eight thousand years after that, the Celts came over with brilliant technologies and compared, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as they came over and they'd cut sort of most of the ties with Europe, they they went straight into the same process of being completely behind in terms of technology, making them ripe for. Um, immigration another wave of immigration which is basically what happens someone comes over with improved technology takes britain yeah and they go hey we're the new british people and then they stagnate and they drop behind and then another wave of people from europe who've developed things come across and go yay we've now taken britain and then they stagnate (laughs) and then the next lot come and go yay we're taking it that is the story of britain basically yeah uh, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, because we're not stagnating, yeah, yeah. <laughs> falling behind, and now like, just no more immigrants. <laughs> it feels more and more like we're the appendix of Europe. It's, it's like we it? used to do something, we don't anymore. Yeah, Brexit means Brexit. Yeah, that's what we've done, isn't it? Gone. Yeah, we don't want any more of those competent people that were keeping the country afloat, <laughs> holding us back yeah. from our destiny. Yeah. The worthless, washed-up empire. Decimation. Anyway, it could be argued that the arrival of the Celts represents the true beginning of history in Britain, as the language and culture of these peoples has left a mark that is still resonating to this day, 
with the stories of the great Celtic leaders such as Boudicca and Caractacus forming part of the national story that we use to define Britain. However, the first written records of life in Britain did not begin to be set down until the arrival of the Romans in 43 AD, which today is considered to be the defining line that ends prehistory in the British Isles and which, up until this episode, has also marked the earliest event we have discussed on this podcast. Right. And the inspiration for doing t- this today was our brother Thomas yeah. lending me a book called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. And I can't, I can't say that was the main source because I had to go through a lot of websites to find out specific British things, but it definitely was the inspiration and it's such a good book to read. It's so fun. And that talks about how we may continue to evolve as well to your question. It, there's some theories positive. I don't see us evolving. I f- see us devolving. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.